Now I can think, and how would I organize my life, now that I have the time to consider it, mm -hmm. in a way that I have multiple income streams, especially that don't require my direct input. All right, Adam, Adam Trudell. Yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up, where you were born. Um, basically, bring us up until about a year or two ago. Sure. Uh, I grew up in mostly in northern Rhode Island, uh, a small town called North Smithfield. Um, I moved around uh, quite a bit. Um, the, the standard American upbringing, uh, parents divorced and moved around with mom. Mom passed away, lived with an uncle, then moved out of there, lived with a different uncle. And uh, so bounced around, bounced around the state, but stayed within Rhode Island. People generally don't leave Rhode Island. And even when I left, I only went to Massachusetts. Uh, so, um, but yeah, a great, great inner city public school education. Uh, I uh, survived that and uh, mostly focused on the arts, uh, the arts and sports. I loved baseball uh, mostly, didn't really care for many other sports, but was addicted to baseball, was addicted to memorizing stats from players and collecting cards and just knowing like Ken Griffey Jr.'s like first 10 years, everything, <laughs> like batting average, slugging, like um, all that. Was a Yankees fan, uh, mostly because my mom was a Yankees fan, technically by jurisdiction in Rhode Island. You're supposed to be a Red Sox fan. I was going to say, you're not a Red Sox fan? Uh, I I like both teams. I uh, The rivalry ended in 2004. <laughs> uh, so I, I like both teams. I appreciate both teams. Um, but after uh, after the Yankees were up 3 nothing after like a 19-8 to game, and the Sox just took the next four in the, in the mm -hmm. ALCS and then went to take the Cardinals for four games straight yeah. in the World Series. That's that's where it officially was. Uh, that's where the, the curse of the Bambino died. So, uh, but yeah, mostly focused on arts and theater and carried that into adulthood. Um, mostly played, played the piano and the guitar. Uh, piano was my, my main focus uh, growing up, really until I became a teenager. Uh, I had taken piano lessons when I was about four, uh, starting at four, uh, because I would, I'd go hear music on television and play along on the piano, like little commercial music mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so uh, my parents thought, well, better, better get him lessons. But yeah, always had an affinity, I would say, for, uh, for the arts, the performing arts, okay. uh, at least, and became a music director, very young, a church music director. I was about uh, 19, got my first real gig with a church, although I played at my church. Okay. Um, but my first real church gig, I was about 17. Uh, went to school for uh, piano performance um, and then became, after college, was did a lot of music directing for um, high schools, colleges. I did Bryant University's musicals for some 11 years. Okay. Played in wedding and function bands, did music enrichment for the Goddard School. I had two weekend residencies in Boston. Um, uh, was a choir director and music director with the Archdiocese of Boston up until 2020. Okay. Until COVID, really everything shifted with COVID. with COVID. So that was that was my life. I was more centered around Boston area, okay. um, gigging. I did everything, just yeah. everything I could get my hands on. I taught elementary and middle school. Okay. Um, 
uh, general music, uh, chorus and drama. And, um, and so I did that as well. I loved that. And then, uh, that brings us basically up to a few years ago, at least when, when okay. COVID happened. So were you in any sales jobs prior then, uh, to Sweetwater Sound? No, no, not. So Sweetwater was number one. Yeah. Okay. That was my first in, in some sense, as a performing musician and, yeah. and things like that, you always have something to sell that you yeah. want. Uh, it's just yourself, yeah. right? You become your brand. And so you have your, you have your marketing and you have your personal relationships uh, with people and you, um, you play the game in such a way that you beg to be invited back to play, uh, which is all sales is, yeah. right? It's not just, I sell you this thing this one time. It's, I want to be so undeniable the first time that all other options are just cut off yeah. and you don't want <laughs> you don't want to go somewhere else for your cables right even though you have you may have a store down the street yeah. and it's like oh, I could go pick up this cable for uh $20 today mm -hmm. I'd rather I know Adam would sell me the right cable for $30 yeah. and I'll get it in 3 days right and it's yeah. like to to have that kind of influence is is something you have to learn as a as a scrappy young performer. You know, seeing from your customer's point of view, did any of that go back to your for performing days or anything like that, or was it just second nature for you? It did. It was interesting how how much overlap there was. So when I came to Sweetwater, I did so sort of uh, timidly. Uh, essentially, what had happened was um, the pandemic started, and I had I've worked with Sweetwater forever. Um, naturally, and they're the best thing. And yeah. uh, and so when the pandemic happened, finally my schedule opened up. My church wanted to start doing things outside. Um, so I said, well, let me call my sales engineer yeah. and work out what the best system would be for the space that we had. And he said, uh, he said, oh, you can finally come visit Sweetwater. You've always wanted to visit Sweetwater. Mm -hmm. Now you have the schedule. Because it was always, come out to Sweetwater, dude, I don't have the time. Do you have, do you have any idea? I'm morning, noon, and night. I'm yeah. like getting up to be at the school at 7.30. I'm teaching all day. I'm leaving. I have a choir rehearsal, and then I have a gig that night. I'm getting home at 2 in the morning to be back at the school at 7.30. Yeah. Right? Like that was yeah. just, that was my life, and that was seven days a week. And yeah. I did that for years and years. And he said, well, now you have no excuse. And I'm like, okay, you're right. So I I visited with a friend of mine who now lives in Fort Wayne. Okay. So we both came down and both ended up moving here. And that was that was kind of what changed it all. But when so I visited, I fell in love with the area. I told my wife about it. She came down. She loved it. And we said, let's, you know, let's make this happen. And I applied uh, rather with a bit of trepidation because I don't have a gear background. I don't have a sales background per se yeah right and so the uh even though i had a resume that was a mile long mm -hmm. and it's like hey look at all the stuff i did and it's like well that's a, that's nice but that only affects the stuff you're doing yeah right yeah. and so not not particularly a um a real like one-to-one -one correspondence with yeah. the work i'm doing so i i came into it thinking like that um but then uh, just this morning, for instance, I had a guy who wanted a, a call uh, and talk about keyboards. And it's like, well, I've been a keyboardist my whole life. Mm -hmm. So um, we're talking and he's talking about how he played Hammond organs for 40 years. And like, well, which keyboard should I get? 
And everything I'm talking about that's selling him a Hammond SK Pro has to do with my former experience. It actually didn't have much to do with my time at Sweetwater yeah. or anything to do with sales. Okay. It's like literally all I'm doing is solving a problem for you. Yeah. You're giving me the raw materials, the ingredients maybe, and I'm making the best recipe, the best solution mm -hmm. out of what you're giving me. You're saying it's like, okay, well, it has to feel like this. I'm 80-20 Oregon to piano. Okay, so we're going to want to go maybe Hammond rather than Yamaha. Um, and it's like, and it's a name you you know and you trust, yeah. right? So all of all of these, and maybe there were like 20 factors I, I considered. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's the kind of thing that's not really much different than when you're playing at a bar and they want Yacht Rock. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. you go and you're like, well, okay, I'm going to do Boss Skaggs and I'm going to play. Uh, yeah. uh, so when when you're when you're doing that sort of like selling yourself, it's a lot of what you're trying to do is generate credibility so that people buy into you yeah. and then um, by proxy the product. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of been my approach and it's worked out exceptionally well. If you're just like first you meet the needs of the person, yeah. um, which there's generally more than one, mm -hmm. right? Because people, as a customer, you're calling a company that you don't know where they are. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're referred to by a friend and you're talking to someone you don't know. And if you're like me, like as a Bostonian, I just don't trust anyone. Yeah, totally, right? man. It's yeah. like, it's just- Everyone's a telemarketer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you, you're like, you're cynical. And so it's like, well, for instance, should I get the Roland, the Yamaha, or the Hammond? When, when it came time to pitch the Hammond, mm -hmm. he didn't question the fact that I was recommending something that was $700 more yeah. than the two other units. And it was possibly because I ruled out the Nord Stage 3 Compact. I don't want to get too- specific yeah. on gear obviously yeah. but i had ruled out the four thousand dollar keyboard mm -hmm. and so when i then recommended the twenty six hundred dollar one right that's maybe yeah. part of the reason why why he felt like he could trust me and yeah. so as long as um you have that and you're just being honest mm -hmm. like people don't um they won't treat you like a like a like a yeah. car salesman or something well so much of it has to come down to listening to um so far, I've had Jason Coons do one of these, which is VP of sales here, and then my buddy Chris Marino on the East Coast, and he runs just under a million-dollar DJ business a year uh, doing weddings, and it both just came down to listening, mm -hmm. and we were talking about just listening and getting to know the person, you know? Yes, yeah, you know? And, and like I said, kind of taking in what they're saying, those sort of raw materials I yeah. mentioned, and then feeding them back yeah. to them. And saying, yeah. here's what you need. And that's that's kind of like stage two, which is problem solving. Yeah. And that's in as far as I know with all sales, that's even if you are selling mm -hmm. a car. Oh, okay. I have four kids now. Yeah. Right? My Hyundai accent's not gonna cut it. <laughs> right. So so then, you know, my wife has a Pathfinder, but the Pathfinder doesn't have captain's chairs. It's time for time for the land yacht, man. Yeah. Yukon XL. The uh, yeah, or the, the Hyundai Suburban. Carnival, the eleven yeah. seater. We might get to that point. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so then you're you're thinking about that or, well, wife wants do doors that open automatically. So maybe we're looking at a minivan. Yeah. Uh, you know, now they make them, you, you swing your foot under the trunk and, and that opens, opens up, yeah. you know. And so they have all these, you know, intercom to the third row. You, you can go and, but what are all those things, right? They're not just flashy features. Yeah. They're solutions. Yeah. 
And because they're solutions, people will buy your product. So I invited you in here because you and I got talking at uh, an office hours. And what that is, is some, some training, some one-on-one training that we do with gear. And we started talking about uh, Grant Cardone. Mm. I started talking about Bedros. Um, and we started talking about multi-income streams, you know, and real estate, things like that. When you were describing your upbringing, it sounded like you almost already had multiple incomes, you know, from the get-go where you were doing church things, you were doing gigs, you had a teacher gig. When you moved into commission sales, was that something that you knew you had to do or was it just part of your natural progression? Sure. It was uh, a little bit of both. I'd say there was the, uh, the psychological element of it, which was that I had lost both my biological parents young, uh, my father when I was nine, mom when I was 13. And so part of my developmental years was feeling like an outsider. I think it's one of the things that pushed me so hard to be such a good musician yeah. um, was because I could find acceptance among people that way. And I think it's also one of the things that drove me to be such a hard worker because I would feel like I'm earning my keep by by always going above and beyond. That was part of it. Part of it was economic. Um, My wife was a stay-at-home mom. We always planned things to be that way. And uh, and so if if you're a stay-at-home mom and you have a husband as a musician, it's like, that's pretty rotten luck. (laughs) (laughs) And so... I I drove myself to do everything that okay. I could with my abilities and my and my credentials. It's like, okay, well, I can do the church thing. I can do the school thing. I can um, prior to that, it was teaching lessons and just trying okay. trying to take on students and just always grinding, always yeah. hustling uh, for everything that I could, just as a means of being able to own a house in yeah. Metro West. and uh, and, it, and so just to keep the bills paid, uh, was a major a major part of it, but also couldn't just see myself being the kind of person that lounged around. Yeah. So for me, it's like, what am I going to do if I'm not working? If I'm not working, I'm practicing or yeah. or, or spending time with my family. Yeah. And uh, some people have so much free time and no goals and no dreams, and so they just want to binge watch the new season of Dexter oh, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, something, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. And and so there's, um, and that was that was a real fear of mine. It wasn't just that, but I I had seen a lot of capable people and musicians, no matter what it was, um, just essentially die. Right? They had this ability, and they said, "Okay, this far, and no further." And then naturally, that passion just decays. Yeah. And I think it was Aristotle who said, "You you can't be passionate about something about passionate about something." unless you're willing to suffer for it. And in some sense, the word passion has its root in suffering, right? Like the passion of the Christ, yeah, the Christ yeah, right? Yeah, Things yeah. like that. That um, you, so maybe it is a, a late night in an mm-hmm. early morning. Um, maybe it's, I really don't have time to practice this, um, but I, I have this event coming up that they need me to, yeah. I have this wedding, they want this piece played and I gotta find the five hours to practice it. Yeah. And, uh, and, st- and and things like that continue to revivify the reason you got into it in the first place. And so you're, you're constantly uh, building and um, and becoming a, like a better version of who you want to be by your passion, which is through your suffering for the thing. Hmm. 
and uh, and so a, a large part of it was my fear of failure, not my fear of not being accepted necessarily, although that was a part of it. Um, but I was driven in in that area by fear of not being everything I could be, um, okay. and so so that that drove me a lot. Um, when I got into commission based sales, I wanted multiple income streams for general stability, um, but mostly because I felt like, okay, I'm in a place where now I have a little more time. I'm not burning the candle at both ends all the yeah. time. You know, I had always had way too many irons in the fire. Now I can think, and how would I organize my life now that I have the time to consider it mm -hmm. in a way that I have multiple income streams, especially that don't require my direct input all the time. And passive, that's, passive income. Yes. Yeah. And so I had no passive income in my previous life. Okay. All I had was I have to show up at this gig. I have to teach this class. Yeah. I have to direct this musical. I got to work with this choir. It's and, a quintessential your time is money. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that and the and there's there's ways of maybe we'll get into it, but there's ways of even thinking about the money you make and the money you spend in terms of time rather than in terms of a dollar amount. Um, there's a book I can't remember the name of that, that talked about that. But the, uh, so when I got here, I thought, okay, well now I'm in commission-based sales, which is there's an active element to it and there's a passive element yeah. to it, as you know, uh, through firsthand experience. And so now it's not always, I have to be right there with the person and hope they pull the trigger and it needs to be in my presence. And it's also not 80 hour weeks. So I thought, so now I, I, I did what I know. I still direct musicals so I can, I can stay sharp yeah. and keep my, my chops up. Um, I still work for a church. I'm a music director and, and choir director, uh, for a church. So that keeps me busy, keeps me sane. And, uh, and now I'm at the point where I can start to consider, um, and, and now, we're in the, the stages yeah. of building um, something that will that will be passive that I can invest in yeah. um, and be a part of of its management and structure, even though I'm not part of the service. Okay. And uh, and so there is economically a sort of trinity between your uh, your thought leaders, the people that create the companies, your investors, which might be like, say, you think like Wall Street, right? It's like Silicon Valley, Wall Street, yeah. and then your workers, the blue collar that deliver your ideas to the people in yeah. in forms of goods and services. And then you reap the reward. And that's that's the active part. You want to be more of the investor kind of overseeing things, managing things, uh, the uh, the type of, of person that's uh, that's creative and thoughtful and can um, generate ideas that then in turn generate income because you're doing something either that someone needs or that betters their life and they're willing to pay for it. So when you when you moved to Fort Wayne, the, the slate was clear. Like all you had really was this as income. Is that correct? That's right. You had nothing else coming in from the East Coast or anything like that. What was the first other stream of income that you, that you dove into? The first thing I... I did when I came to Fort Wayne was promise my wife I wouldn't take any other work for a year <laughs> because basically she was like a single mom 
yeah. the you know the whole time we were living uh, in the Boston area, uh, effectively, I was always driving somewhere, doing mm-hmm. a gig, doing doing something, and uh, and that was really, it was great experience. It was uh, great money, but it was really suboptimal for okay. for balance. And so I told her one year, and so we found you know we found this church, and our son went to school where the uh, where the school was, and um, you know so we had we moved in October of 2020. We had our first Christmas together. I hadn't had a Christmas off since I was 17. We moved here the same month. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and so I hadn't had a Christmas off in 17 years, yep. and uh, since I was 17. And so we had that Christmas. It was great getting up that morning without having to go play at church and open presents. And then that following month, uh, the music director announced that he was retiring. Um, to which the pastor, knowing my background, right, to right you. <laughs> instantly looked at me, and I thought, well, it's still COVID. You know, I don't won't have a choir. I don't have to do all this stuff, and it's just a couple services. Big deal, yeah. right? And you know, we make a little fun cash on the yeah. side. Yeah. So my wife said, "Okay, well, that was a good three months," <laughs> and uh, and so I took that on, and then six, and it was it was fine, very very small, low responsibility, and then six months later, another church had contacted me and said, okay. uh, said, "Hey, you know, would you like a a big boy?" Yeah. music director position i said well all right at this point why not, why not? so yeah. so i did that and that's that's not a i don't really think of that like work anymore when you do it as long as i've been doing it things repeat themselves yeah right and so you already know basically the cycle that you're working in how you have to plan things so what's normally might be a 20-hour job for the average person for me is between eight and ten because yeah. um, there's there's just a lot of recycling you do mm-hmm. and um, and so so I, I took that on and and then you know still doing gigs here and there you know mm-hmm. I have a gig this Friday and Saturday I play uh, I play weddings and funerals so still mostly staying active and then um, building building things that can then become uh, pa- more passive income yeah. over time yeah because you're you're into real estate. Yes. Right. Yep. Uh, closing on a house next month. So was Fort Wayne the first real estate market you got into for profit? For yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, there was a. I'll tell you what. Having a house during COVID uh, in the Boston area was one way to make profit. I didn't do bad <laughs> in New Jersey. And uh, yeah. so hanging hanging on to that for seven or eight years, and then letting yeah. that go. Um, we just we bought our first house here just with the cash from awesome. our uh, by necessity because I was told that moving into a commission based sales position meant that I couldn't get a loan for a house. So. Yeah, unless you're going to get a letter that is not completely true, you weren't going to be able to get a mortgage. That's right. Yeah. Which I had a friend who's moved to Fort Wayne and his job was able to write him one of those letters, so he got a house. I got an eye wink letter. <laughs> and uh, yeah, right. And so. They're like, yes, he is working for us remotely, um, and so the. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, we moved here, and I saw opportunity. Yeah. Um, and there's still opportunity with real estate here. It isn't as much of a gold mine 
as it was a few years ago. Yeah, yeah um, prices have definitely gone up around here. And I sold my house after 15 months, and it had gone up 60%. That's awesome. In Fort Wayne. And, uh, and I came in during the pandemic, like I said, October 2020. Yeah. So there's a uh, – but there's, there's always opportunity. Yeah. Um, we've – I mean, even if the market were to collapse today, I'm not buying houses – assuming that I'm going to get rid of them in a year. Yeah. I think if you're making any investment that you can't lose, yeah. you probably shouldn't be making investments. That's a right? really good piece of advice. And uh, and so people people leverage against themselves uh, in making investments like, oh, well, it seems like a really good investment, so I'm going to I'm going to put my house on it. It's like you're crazy. Yeah. Because how many things look look like they're going to take off and then they don't. Yeah. Right? I mean, even Robert Kiyosaki, I love him, yeah. right? It's like he's he's someone buy bitcoin, buy bitcoin, buy bitcoin. All of a sudden bitcoin flatlines and he's like hardly mentioned anything about it since. Right? So to Kevin Leary, is that his name? Mr. Wonderful from uh I forget what his name is from Shark Tank, same thing. Oh yeah, Kevin Leary. Yeah, yep. he was all on the bitcoin man and all you have to do is go on his LinkedIn and everyone will tell you how he's not talking about it now. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people got quiet uh, with that. But there's there's all sorts of companies, companies that were part of massive movements that just fell apart. Uh, like we saw Solyndra crash during the height of solar. Um, we saw um, FTX was another one. Yeah. No one saw that coming. Yeah. And people had tons of money in it. We saw it with uh, Terra Luna uh, was another one. So there's... There's always the likelihood that things will collapse, and that's that's the risk. Um, and so, but real estate has a return of about nineteen point six percent, and on the general S and P, you're looking at between six and ten percent at any point. And what's great about real estate, say versus stock, is that you can have an active part of how much that's worth. Right? You can't set the price of stocks you can't yeah. make decisions for the company and and things like that but real estate you can vet your tenants you can invest in a neighborhood that's landlord friendly you can work on the house in ways that will produce sweat equity um you can decide which houses you want to buy right there's people who've gotten massively successful just by buying houses where starbucks are putting up locations yeah they let starbucks do all the thinking for them yeah. about the neighborhood it's like, okay, I'm only going to buy within a mile of a Starbucks. If Starbucks is willing to build there, then they've already done all the research for me about like what the neighborhood's like. You can you have a, a very direct and positive or negative impact on your, your earning potential. Um, so the house that we're buying is in uh, zip code 46807, uh, which is... Uh, up and coming. There's a lot of investment going on. There's a big electric works project that's happening. I was going to ask where it was. Okay. And uh, so, so just south of that, but on one of the quieter streets near Old Mill Road, which is known okay. for you know having, um, having all the the old money in Fort Wayne. So a a very desirable neighborhood, uh, with great neighbors. Yeah. I, I know the neighborhood well. It's very close to my house now. It's about okay. three minutes away. So. I'm very close proximity, um, and I know the renters, and That's awesome. uh, and so they're willing to stay a couple of years uh, while they get married, and you know, kind of they're they're young, um, but both have very stable jobs and uh, plenty enough money to 
um, to purchase so uh, or to uh, to pay rent. And so it's like that's that's about as as stable, stable as a position as you can be in. And I know the person selling the house as well. It's and, a best case scenario. Yep. And so it's selling off market. It's selling for uh, less than its value, its actual value. Um, and then I'm renting to people that I know. It's like, and I know the people who live across the street from that house. They're, like, they're like my best friends. So um, I have, and that's that's another thing too, right? I remember taking a, a class in microeconomics and we kind of went through the uh, the fundamental rules of microeconomics at the start of the class. And this was like 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And yeah. I still remembered like so much about this class. And so you would learn things like, like fallacies of composition and ad hoc fallacies and ways people view the economy. And, uh, but one thing was that um, businesses should be focused on maximizing uh, profits, not output. And so one, when you think of output, whether you, th um, when you think of capital, right? Like time factors into that. And so if you have a way of making money that's not only passive but is also easy yeah then you've really like hit the lottery um tim ferris yeah. talks about this in in the four hour work week um and he talks about uh people like um the guy i can't think of his name who runs my music staff um and basically what that is is an online platform in an app for private music educators you're teaching piano you're teaching drums mm -hmm. you can organize your schedule of students you can take payments um, it's a very simple system. Uh, you can um, leave notes and upload files for the students that they can access. If they lose their printout or something, they can send messages to you. Uh, so it's pretty basic kind of schedule management system. Yeah. And the guy who um, he was interviewed by Tim Ferriss uh, on his podcast, and he's like, yep, I have my developers who make sure everything's working. I have some uh, people who work in general support. Uh, and then... I, I have my house in Colorado and I've been backpacking through Australia with my family for the last two months. The kids are homeschooled through yeah. the through the program and we're probably going to sell our house in Colorado because we don't need a home. Uh, we're almost never there. And yeah. so that's now not every person can do that, obviously. But the and I always thought it was funny that Tim Ferriss would write a book called The Four Hour Work Week that would sell so well because the way you the way he works a four hour work week is by writing a book about how you can write up. <laughs> I thought that was it's that was hilarious. kind of uh, a little bit of uh, irony yeah. there. Um, but uh, but you can I think you can take a little bit of time and organize your life in such a way that you have a sort of spectral efficiency across every area of your life and in, in what you're doing and if it needs to go to someone else and they do it and you pay them to do it like i pay my landscaper mm. it's just not worth it for me to take the time yeah. to i have an acre and i have very busy saturdays i want to be with my family yeah. i don't want to be out there trimming hedges and yeah. and mowing the lawn and, and doing cleanup um so sometimes you do that and but so too in business and in real estate finding a way to like i have these properties i don't have to worry about anything right the husband in this current property uh he's handy you know i wouldn't have him like you know remodel the bathroom or something yeah but 
he can change a light bulb. Yeah. Right. He can he can tighten a gasket on a faucet, and yeah. then I don't I don't have to do it. He's like, oh, faucet's like, no, took care of it, and then that's a trip I'm not making. Yeah. That's someone I'm not calling to uh, to do that kind of thing. And then eventually you have so many properties, it might be prudent to put them under management. And yeah, then property management yeah. are huge out here. Yes. And so now you have maybe 10 places and now it's not your wife who's stressing about collecting rent because yeah. you're so busy working somewhere else. It's not, you're not worried about evictions if someone uh, repeatedly fails to, to pay their rent. You're not worried about well, hey, this this refrigerator stopped working. This furnace went, and it's it's ten below, and now I have to figure out. Yeah. I I have to go buy space eaters and bring them to this house because the HVAC guy can't come till Monday, yeah. right? So, so things like that uh, that you try to, um, you know, you want to you balance them in a, in a certain way, uh, and then all you have at that point is is just it's just money just pouring in. One of my friends, Matt, that I grew up grew up with, he's a union underwater welder. So he goes up to New York City every day and he welds like underwater. Like he goes under the UN and welds that reservoir. Like he does really crazy stuff. His wife is basically property management. So they have one house. They didn't want anyone to buy the house next door. So he cashed out his 401k, bought that house. Then they bought the house behind him, tore that house down, built a house. And when I brought up to them passive income, Sheila was like, it's not passive, you know, because there's so much work in it. Um, And I think that you just kind of put really good parameters around that where it's like it can become passive. It's Mm -hmm. just it might just not be right off the bat. You have to allow it to grow into what it is. Um, Was that the end goal for you to kind of get to a point where you were hands off or was it just kind of reactionary, came to this new town? Dude, I know the pricing on the East Coast versus Fort Wayne, particularly where you're talking about. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. the interest you pay a year on a house on the East Coast <laughs> is what you buy a house for here. That's right. So, yeah, I guess was it just you saw the opportunity to maybe have passive income or was it just scrapping, just doing what you do? It was, yeah, it was all opportunity. I didn't come here. I came here for an opportunity with Sweetwater yeah. first and foremost, yeah. but saw that when you – when you're not worried about how you're going to pay your mortgage that month or yeah. the or the following month or if there's going to be enough gigs in January um, to supply you with food to eat, uh, when that's no longer on the table, now you can – it's like the hierarchy of needs, yeah. right? It's like, well, when I'm not worried about shelter, I can start thinking upward, yeah. right? And I think a lot of times why, why people people I know and talk to all the time, it's like they're not – considering the next step i i know someone i'll just say i know someone yeah. who's extremely handy and is down in his life even though he might be the most talented person i know and it's like well why aren't you taking this to the next level get like a car decal get business cards start networking with people start talking to people hey can you tell folks about this like again that part of like getting scrappy like you do in sales right that's your brand your brand is i'm sam and i'm a really good plumber and then it's like then everyone's like you got to call sam it's like it's not just the work you do but also how how you communicate uh that to, to other people and he's just always concerned on how he's going to pay his rent and 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 so there's and have food and be able to fix his car if something uh goes wrong so there's 
you're always in some sense, depending on your situation, locked out of doing greater things. And sometimes it's because of money. And sometimes it's because of lack of knowledge. Yeah. You just don't know what I there's someone here uh, that I recently was talking to and he's like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if we'll be able to get a house because, well, I make this much money and, um, you know, I just I don't have money for a down payment. And, you know, they want at least like 5%. I talked to a bank and, you know, 5% on a, a $200,000 house is like, you know, $10,000. And right now I have $1,000 and it would just take forever to get $10,000. Yeah. And I so I, I sat down with him. I was like, well, what areas are you looking? Oh, we're looking around the city this way, this way, this way. Yeah. And uh, on the outside of the outside of the city. And I said, well, why don't you just get a USDA loan? Right. It's zero percent. My second house was USDA. Yeah, you yep. have you have some PMI. Yeah. But generally, you just pay closing costs, and that's it. As long as you have a couple grand, you can get the house that you want. I know you make good money. Yeah. Um, you don't manage it well, but you make good money, and uh, and therefore you can get the house you want, and you can get a house with a mortgage that's less than what you're paying in rent, yeah. and the house will be twice the size. So yeah, like just do it, and uh, and so he looked into it and. Now he's buying his first house, yeah. you know, getting or getting ready, anyways, for it. Um, he's uh, almost at the almost at the end of his lease, and and so sometimes people don't even know what options are are there for them, and so sometimes it's economic, sometimes it's information. I, I don't know how to. Where do I find these groups online where I can post that like, hey, I'm a handyman, hire me. Uh, let me provide a service for you. Where do I, how do I network? How do I yeah. call people or advertise in a, a paper or a magazine or anything like that? Um, sometimes people just lack the imagination. And and partly sometimes it can be because they're too focused on the lower level of just making sure their very basic needs are met. It's that reactionary style of living. Yeah. You know. I think a fatal flaw with most people who say don't just work a nine to five and clock yeah. out and they're done with their day. Uh, the, um, which is, is a whole issue of its own, yeah. right? Like, like we've been talking about, like if you're just not driven or have goals or dreams, it's like more power to you if you, if you can lead a fulfilling life. But the, uh, but the folks who do say drive their own business yeah. or, or things like that, we often tend to confuse motion with accomplishment and so we say well of course i'm successful i have gigs every friday saturday and sunday i'm a church music director right i'm a music teacher i'm working with the goddard school i'm doing these gigs i'm like opening for national acts i'm maybe even touring right yeah. it's like i did all all of that i'm working in the studio i got hired as a, a, ses a ses session musician none of that is like really, you know, it, it's just movement. The boat's just yeah. on the water, yep. right? And it's mm -hmm. like, well, it's not much to just be talented and have it take you somewhere. But it's like, are you? Is that all you're gonna do? You're just you're just gonna run circles in the same ocean? It's tactically busy. I've heard it referred to mm. being tactically busy. Yeah, and so that I think, you know, it, for most people, they just do that and they just. You let that play out for 20 or 30 years yeah. and you're just dead inside. 
you're like, here I am playing another gig for $200 20 years from now. I was making $200 at this gig in 1990. <laughs> and, uh, and now here it is. 2020 and i'm still making 200 dollars at this gig so there's no there's no upward momentum and you have to you have to have vision and imagination first off you have to have the time to contemplate the vision uh and the mental fortitude and discipline to flesh out uh what that what that looks like um both in abstractly and and pragmatically and then lastly you um, you have to have uh, the goals. You have to be be willing to say, "This is this is what I want," and that's how. That's the only. Honestly, I think it's the only way to be fulfilled, is to say, "Right now, at this second, I'm not where I need to be. I need to conceptualize where I need to be, and work towards it, and then the evidence that I'm producing the desired outcome." Mm-hmm is where I will generate positive emotion. So do you say your goals out loud to people that will hold you accountable, like your wife or your kids or anything like that? Do you Is this something that you pronounce? Uh, my wife and I, we work on our, our goals together. Okay. Um, I, I have a goal, funny enough, <laughs> of um, saying my goals out loud, even just to myself uh, every day. Yeah. I used to do something similar. When I was very young, we had, um, so we got married young. We um we had our first child uh very young and we knew we just kind of wanted to just go for it and uh with with building a family and starting a family um i've never been one that was too interested if i don't know in the first few months if you're going to be my wife you're probably not going to be my wife yeah (laughs) and uh and so some people i've friends dating 10 years i'm like hell maybe we'll get married one day uh so the but for me it's like if there's and that that goes into business as well. It's like if you've determined that it's wise to do something, yeah, do it. If it's the right thing to invest in real estate, I, I get in arguments with people here. I'm like, what are you waiting for? The prices to go up, because that's most likely what's going to happen. They've only gone down consistently once since World War II, and that was in 2008. Um, when I was in commission sales sitting in here. <laughs> yeah. And then and then they they, they bounced up again. Yeah. Uh as as we've seen. And so I would uh I wrote myself a check for a hundred dollars and taped it on my bedroom wall. We were living in a small town called Situate, Rhode Island. We were like twenty two, twenty one, mm-hmm. and I took that check, wrote it to myself. And taped it to my bedroom wall. That was my goal okay. setting. Yeah, nice. And the goal was, I need to make a hundred dollars a day. Okay. Right. So that's like thirty-six k yeah, yeah. a year. Yep. And uh, I said that's that's my goal. I was making. We were we were living above a doctor's office in this tiny apartment, in this rural town. I had to drive, like I had to drive. It was an hour just to just to drive where where I was like giving guitar lessons, mm-hmm. and uh, I was in Northborough, Massachusetts, and. Um, and so we had we had one car. My car was broken down. We didn't have money to fix it. I had this beautiful Nissan Maxima I could do nothing with. And uh, because I was foolish and saved up a bunch of money when I was like 18, 19 and bought this car and then couldn't afford to fix it because I yeah. spent all my money on the car. Uh, and so taped that to the wall and just worked to make that happen. And then eventually it was $200. Yeah. And then eventually we bought our first house a couple of years later. And then it was 300, right? And at that point, never really, never really, 
met that goal, but partly didn't meet it because I was, uh, what was it? Tactically busy. Tactically busy. And, uh, and so I didn't have time to say, okay, how can I accelerate my income? How can I monetize my time in uh, such a way that I can get beyond this threshold? Right. Cause I never really quite made that $300 a day check. And, uh, and it, it didn't happen until COVID came and flattened all my work. And then uh, now all I had was time. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and I, I thought, uh, like long and hard, like, well, what, what direction can I go? Well, it's kind of hard to get into something or establish a business if you don't have money to invest because half your gigs just went right out the window, um, because of a pandemic. And so, and my friends who are full-time musicians in Massachusetts, they're still recovering. Like a lot, you know. I'm dealing with stuff now from three years ago Mm -hmm. with my business. You know, it's a lifelong thing that you'll never, like, you might get past it financially on paper, but they're going to be dealing with that for the rest of their lives and the time that they missed Mm. growing their network. And particularly if you're younger, like we are, man, like, I got the energy now. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like if I lose two years now, that's just like losing 10 years when I'm 70, you know, as far as action is concerned. So I feel that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And so then you have you have an opportunity cost yeah. that's associated with that. You're not just not playing gigs. Yeah. Right. Your your life is on pause. And I think if your life is on pause, your life is going backwards. Um, yeah. You you have to take time to examine yourself and and ask yourself okay where am i financially where am i in my relationship with my kids where am i in my relationship with my wife how how is my body doing am i listening to my body or am i always too busy doing things um and not actually taking time to realize like you know if i have an exceptionally busy day maybe i'm getting home and i'm just wiped and i sit at the table and i eat dinner and then I just wanted to like lay on the couch and be a passive father. Oh, okay, I'll just hold the baby, right? And and that's it. It's like that's not that great, totally. right? And and you shouldn't feel accomplished. Like, yeah. oh man, I I was really productive today. I was so productive. I came home and didn't have time for my wife and kids because yeah. I was too tired. <laughs> Go me, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. So, uh, and so listening to uh to your body and and things like that and and taking time. Um, to have everything as much in alignment as you can. And I think that's I think that's true happiness. I think that's living the good life. Um, a lot of times the guys I read, whether it's the Grant Cardones or anyone I don't want to name names, um, but they're they can be so business focused that they miss the forest for the trees. Yeah. Right. The only reason I want to maximize my income and make as as much money as humanly possible is to make a difference in the world. Uh, and so whether it's I work with a uh, orphanage called NPH, Nuestro Picanos Hermanos, uh, and they they do great work with homes in uh, Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, Dominican Republic. And uh, they take these kids in who have mm-hmm. um you know, either parents are around, but it's a really destitute situation. Okay. Parents are in gangs, they're drug dealers. Yeah. There's, there's um, all sorts of uh, issues that could that could be the result of the state takes the kids or the parents give the kids. Like, yeah. hey, you can raise them right, and they do this work and they raise the kids and they're the most beautiful people you've ever met. And they go on, some of them to university. They become 
dentists or, or therapists and they mm -hmm. they just want to give back because someone gave to them and they want to give back and uh, and I think it's one of the one of the more powerful ways that you can create a better world um, for everybody and that's I'd, I'd like to be a massive donor to that program um, <clears throat> because if you if you only live for you know a, a 50 million dollar portfolio then you just die with a $50 million yeah. portfolio. Famed bass player and musician extraordinaire. He wrote a book uh, several years ago, maybe 20, 2008 or so, called uh, The Music Lesson. And highly recommend the book. It's uh, written sort of like a Carlos Castaneda type book, like Adventures of Don Juan, sort of sort of way, where this, this guy shows up and... He's like, oh, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about music, mm. right? This guy's name's Michael. And so they have different chapters that are based on different elements of music, note, space, contour, rhythm, expression, groove, all of those things. And there's uh, a lot of really neat, like the sort of Carlos Castaneda thing, like elements in the story that he's just teaching them about music, but you but it's very easily relatable to real life, yeah. right? So there are those parallels. Um, C.S. Lewis does that too, like in his space trilogy. And there's, there's plenty of authors that are, that are like that, that tell fictional stories, but then you're like, this isn't really fiction, yeah. right? And uh, Chesterton was like that. And, uh, and um, Chesterton, actually, I think he once said, he said, uh, fiction books don't exist to... Um, convince us that dragons are real they're there to convince us that dragons can be slain and i really <laughs> nice. like that yeah that's i really good. i really like that line well i appreciate you sharing it man um you know one of the major reasons why i wanted you on here was i know you're successful doing the sales job here i know you have multiple income streams and you can talk mm -hmm. about it but i also knew that you you didn't have a a storied childhood you know like mm -hmm. the american dream you know two parent the whole thing and I thought it'd be good for, for your point of view to come in here, you know, um, and kind of have that because not some, not everyone's so open to talk about it and how it affects mm -hmm. them, you know? Um, well, I appreciate it, man. And, uh, stay off anti-work Reddit. Stay off anti-work. It's also known as LinkedIn now. I'm it's, not sure if you know that or not. <laughs> oh, oh, right. I bet. LinkedIn is, is. Has that gotten super toxic? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So stay off LinkedIn too. Thankfully, I'm almost never on LinkedIn yeah. um, because I'm not seeking anything. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it's worth mentioning, you know, for people or even if if you have listeners who have a similar background yeah. to me, the thing you should be fighting for, sort of metaphysically, is restitution. You had this past. You couldn't choose it, right? But you can live in such a way that you can make peace with that you can break the cycle and you can make the world a better place. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it, Adam. Yeah. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, sir.